Good morning, Grove Central. Good morning online, watching all those watching. Uh, good to see you guys. How you guys doing today? Woo, all right. So good to have some people in the house. And we're trying really hard to make online experience even better than before. So hopefully you guys noticed that today online. I uh, had our team also shout for our, our media team, our, our sound, our, our uh, worship team, all that. Just doing a great job. I just have a great service today. So thanks for being with us uh, today online. And everybody in the Grove Central, thanks for being here. This is actually week four of a series called Fruitful. And uh, really the idea is this, these are the things that we should be full of in our life, right? These are the things that, that should be um, shown in the way we live and interact. And so if you ever want to know what a Christian is supposed to look like, this is what the series is about. That tell us this is how we should be acting. This is what uh, we should be exhibiting in our lives. So if you're not a Jesus follower, this is a great time to learn what it is to what it should look like. And if you are and you don't have what we're talking about, these are things that we have to um, just allow God to work on our lives. So really the main, the main thing when it comes to being fruitful and uh, the main evidence of a, of a Jesus follower is, the, is a growing love for God and for people. So in our lives, if we, don't ever, if we don't have a growing love for God or for people, that's an indication that we actually have stopped growing our relationship with God. Uh, because as a, as a disciple of Jesus, right, he wants us to mature and become more, and more like him. And the evidence of that, that relationship is our growing love for him and for others. So if there's not a growing love for God because either we're ignoring or neglecting um, or not doing the right things, right? So we, we, we miss that. And if there's ever a time we're not loving people, specifically people that aren't like us, um, and we're not growing love for them, that's an indication that we're actually not fulfilling what God is asking, calling us to do. And so this series is pushing against that, saying, hey, guys, let's not become people just go with whatever's happening, but be somebody that stands out because we're growing love towards God and with others. And so let's just do one review from last week. We talked about um, joy and peace last Sunday. And this is what we said, that the pressure, the problems, and the, or people, they can only steal your joy or your peace if you allow them to. So uh, joy and peace, they don't come from people. They come from God. And Paul, he, he shows us this in the, in, the, in the New Testament because all the pressures and all the problems and all the people, what they're saying, they couldn't take his joy or his peace. Even when they threatened to lock him up, they threatened to beat him. They did beat him up. And they threatened even to take his life. He never lost his joy or peace, his or his peace, because he knew those things don't come from man or circumstances, but they come from God. And so that was last week. We said you have to you have to choose this for your life, right? Um, sickness, sadness, sorrows, suffering—none of those things can actually steal our joy or our peace because those come directly from God, um, not from those circumstances from others. And so it's it's our choice to let, let lose them because we allow those things to take them away. Um, that's what we talked about last week. So this is what Paul says to the church in Galatia, where we find the fruit of the Spirit, and we find the, what, what characteristics Christians should be exhibiting in their life. He says this, that the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So the entire Old Testament, the entire scripture, is fulfilled by, by doing one thing, loving others as you love yourself. And so he's saying, if you could do this, you actually fulfill everything that God is trying to do in our lives. And he goes on and says, but if you bite and devour each other, this is why we're doing this series, because in this season... There's a lot of biting and devouring going on. But he says if you do that, eventually you will be destroyed by each other. So if you bite, you devour, you slander, you gossip, you talk about others, eventually you will be destroyed by one another. And we're saying if we're going to be different, a different people, kind of people in this world, we have to learn uh, to, to have, allow God to work in our lives to become and, and exhibit and show things that are different than just what's normal and what goes on. And he goes on after this. He says, so the fruit of the Spirit, if you know what this looks like, he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. So, so far, we've covered those, um, those first three. Love uh, was the second week, and joy and peace was last week. Um, what's interesting is love, joy, and peace, they actually, this is, um, when it comes to the nine characteristics it talks about, 
The first three is about us and our relationship with God. All right? So when you're in right relationship with God, you have peace, you have joy from God, and he shows you the love. You receive his love, right? So his, his joy and peace, those three come directly from God. So you can say the Christian life, it really has three directions, upward, outward, and then inward. And so the first three are all about upward. So you get joy and peace from God. Uh, we see Jesus model love. He, he's given us the example of that, right? And the next three, which we're talking about two of those, kindness and patience and goodness, those are external. Those are from within showing others, right? So they go from us to others, and we'll talk about that. And then faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control um, is an, an internal thing. Those come from within, and, and they really in, impact us more than anything like self-control. And we'll talk about that in a couple weeks. So today we're going to talk about patience and kindness, all right? Uh, two things that our world desperately needs. Anybody agree with me? Yeah? Anybody have an issue with patience? Yeah? Who likes to wait in long lines at the grocery store? Anybody? Um, so, <laughs> I love to you. Somebody said, I love to you. If you're prepared for it, it's not bad, but if you're not. So, they, they did some research and they found out how long does it take for us to get impatient or upset. They found that about 17 minutes, a little less um, for, um, um, I think, women, a little more for guys. But 17 minutes waiting in a line. This is average. Okay, calm down, calm down. Impatience. He's like, move on to the next thing already. Um, seven, and it was the women who said that, so. <laughs> That's funny. Nine minutes on hold on the phone. You've been on, phone, on the phone on hold waiting for somebody to talk to you, right? And they say, oh, excuse me, hold for a little bit more, and then nine minutes later. Well, it takes about nine minutes to get start getting, losing our patience and getting upset, right? So at this point is when you start saying stuff. Um, I don't know if they have, I, don't, I didn't see any stats, but I bet the doctor's office, like, you know, you're supposed to go at a certain time, and then, you know, like three minutes after, you're like, well, I was here early, and my appointment should have started three minutes ago, and, you know, maybe that's even less. I don't know. But on average, we are not very good at waiting, right? We, it's something I think in our culture, and the reason why is because everything is so instant, right? You can make instant rice. You can make it pretty quick. You can go fast food, get your fast food, uh, your food ready fast. It's made almost instantly. Um, even our the words we use for some of the social media, Instagram, right? It's like you can put a picture online within seconds, right? So remember, anybody remember back in the day when you have those, the, the, those things inside your camera called film, and you take these pictures, and you have to take it to like Walgreens or some kind of development place, and then they'd, they couldn't even do it in-house. They'd just ship it off to somebody else, and then they would send it somewhere. And then like two weeks later, they'd call you and say, hey, uh, Mr. Montoya, your film is now in, right? Your, your pictures. And you go and pick up your pictures. And it's like, this is awesome. Now it's like you have it right away, right? You don't have to wait for that picture to be developed. It's just on your phone. You can share it with the world at the touch of a button, right? So everything is instant. It's just very, very quick. And so when something doesn't happen, Tends something what tends to happen is frustration begins to rise up, right? We're like, um, we begin to get maybe a little upset, maybe a little frustrated with what's going on, why it's taking so long. So during this season, you know, with a little more of the shutdown, uh, you go in a store, you have to just expect you're going to be in line for a little while, unless you go to time nobody's there. Um, or um, if, if you go prepared, you won't be as frustrated, right? Because you know you're going to stand in line for a while. So we, have to, we, we can learn this, right? And, and what's interesting in our culture, when we talk about patience, usually we talk about impatience or our lack of patience, not necessarily about the characteristic of patience. For example, um, if somebody's getting on your nerves, you would say, you're getting on my nerves, right? Or you're, 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 you're trying my patience, or um, you're, my patience is wearing thin. Um, I've just about had it with you, right? What is that? It's all talking about our impatience, our inability to wait and to, to not get angry, to push that off a little bit. And so uh, we're going to talk about that. I think we all need patience, and then uh, we'll talk about kindness also. So let's go back to last week. We read a verse in uh, James, the book of James, um, and he talked about when, when you go through something difficult, you should consider it pure joy, right? So James 1, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, when you go through something difficult, 
you should find joy in it because there's going to be something produced in you if you see have the right perspective. He says, because the, um, we know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So in, in Scripture, when you see the word perseverance, this is always tied very closely to patience and endurance. They're, they're very similar. And in fact, a lot of times they're interchangeable when they translate because there's the, the ideas are so similar in, in learning to, to be patient and to persevere and to endure through difficult times. So James says, when you go through something difficult, consider it joy because something is going to be produced in you. It's tied to patience. And then he goes and says, let that perseverance finish its work. Another translation says, let patience finish its work. So he's saying when, when you learn to – patience is like a muscle, right? The more you use it, the, more, the stronger it grows and the better you get at it. And so um, he's saying let patience finish its work. It's stronger in that. So you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And this is always the goal. Maturity is what God wants us to do. So he calls us to be a disciple. When he, when he asks the disciples to follow me, he's saying, come and follow me, right? What he's saying is, I want you to become like me. I'm the rabbi. You're the disciple. But eventually you're going to reflect me. You're going to take on my yoke, my teachings, and you're going to become like me to the world. And so maturity, becoming like the person that, that's the mature person, that's the goal, that we become more and more like Jesus. He says, complete, not lacking anything. This is why Paul and James and Peter and Jesus in, in, their, in their journeys, they weren't lacking anything. So Paul's in prison, and instead of being upset about being in prison, he finds joy and peace because he understands, well, since I'm not on the beach enjoying the nice day at the beach, but I'm in prison, then God must have a purpose for me. And ultimately, the, the reward is not on this earth anyways. It's in heaven, so I'm going to do my best so that I can honor God and, and fulfill his purposes in this life. So they weren't lacking anything because he understood if I don't have it, then God must not want me to have it, or it's not time, or for whatever reason. And so... Um, Really, what, what James is telling us is there's no problem that God can't use for our good. There's, there's no problem in your life that God can't use for your good, to develop good, to do good, to do something. No problem. And when we think of that, we think, oh, no, yeah, how, how could cancer, how could uh, COVID, how could all these difficulties that we go through be good? Well, it's not the thing that's good, but it's what we learn through the process that's good for us. We become something. Um, we, we, those things move us and stir people to do good. Right? So he's saying, there's not a problem, there's nothing you'll face in this life that God can't use for good if you'll have that perspective. And then he goes on and says, uh, let patience, right, do the work to help you grow up. Let patience do its work in your life so you can grow up. When you're impatient, really, um, it's, 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 it's more of an indication of a relationship with God and not waiting on him. So he's saying, let patience do his work in helping us to grow up. It's kind of like the, 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 the prayer, right? Maybe people have prayed, maybe you've prayed this before, God... Give me patience, and can you give it to me now, right? That's not really how patience works. It's like a muscle. So if you pray that prayer, you're, you're an impatient person because you're wanting it now, and it doesn't happen now. It takes time. And so, and also, honestly, when you pay, pray for patience, God usually gives you the weight to be able to grow that muscle. So you say, what I mean by weight is like, a, like a, to actually, you know, to build that, that muscle. So you say, God, give me patience. He's going to let you go to the store, and then you're supposed to be in line for like 30 minutes. You might be in there for like two hours. and be like, come on, this is not fair. Well, no. He just gave you a heavy weight to be able to work out your patience. You can be, get better at this, right? Let me, let me show you, James. He goes on and says more about this. He says in, in chapter 5, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, un, until the Lord's coming. So be patient. Just trust God in all things, right? And he, go, and he uses an analogy of farming. So see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop? He's patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. He understands that the farmer, good farmers, they understand there's a process to get the crop. It doesn't happen overnight. And if you don't wait and you don't do the correct things, you actually can ruin your harvest. So you're saying, like a farmer who learns to wait, we need to patiently wait also for the, for the right timing. 
And he goes on and says this, you too, be patient and stand firm. So he's saying in your life, don't be somebody who just waves and just kind of go, comes and goes. Stand firm. So because the Lord's coming is near, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. So Jesus' teachings and all throughout the New Testament, New Covenant, you'll see that judgment is a really big um, idea in scriptures when we're not the judge, right? In fact, as Jesus' followers, we're called to be witnesses, not the judge. In the court, that's a big difference, right? The judge is the one with the gavel, making the decisions. The witness is the one coming up and saying, hey, let me just tell you what's happened in my life. Let me just tell you what I saw. Let me tell you what's going on. We're called to be witnesses, not judges. And he's saying in this, when, you, when you're not patient, you become the judge. When, you, when you're not patient, you, you can't be confident, stand firm. Um, you actually begin to grumble against one another. You compare yourself. You start complaining about all the things that aren't working in life. And he says, but be careful because you become the judge and then you're going to be judged. In fact, God is the judge. And so he's calling, saying to us, be careful because when you're impatient, it'll actually produce something that's not good. And honestly, patience is really an indication of trust in somebody or something. The reason that we get impatient is, is not because of the circumstances, because we don't trust God. So um, at the heart of, of impatience is mistrust. We, we want to take it into our own hands. You're not moving fast enough. You're not doing it the way I want to do it. So I'm going to take it in my own hands. Really what that is attached to is pride. It's saying, I know better. I, can, I, I know more than you know. I know how to, how to manage my life better. So I'm going to take the control from you and try to make it myself. And throughout the Bible, over and over, you see stories of people who were impatient. So God makes a promise to Abraham, right? Abram, he says, you're going to be a father of many nations. And um, through your, through your uh, um, offspring, there's going to be many nations that come from it. And so years and years pass, and nothing's happening. And he's like, well, maybe I misheard God wrong, you know? And so his wife has this brilliant idea. She says, well, not, not brilliant. She has an idea. wasn't very brilliant. It actually wasn't very smart at all. Uh, you don't have to be a psychologist to know this, but she said, why don't, why don't you take my, my handmaiden, right, and sleep with her and have offerings with her? Maybe, maybe we misunderstood God. So, and so then she takes her, her, her handmaid, um, Hagar, and, she, and he sleeps with her, and she becomes pregnant. And that just explodes, and that doesn't turn into anything good, right? Because they got impatient and didn't trust God's word, they created more issues in their family and their life. Throughout Scripture, over and over and over, we see Saul, who's the king. The prophet Samuel says, Saul, I'll meet you at this, this place this day uh, so that God can fight on our behalf. Just wait for me. And, and after, after time, Saul gets impatient, and he, he offers a sacrifice to God on his behalf, loses his, his ability to be the king because of it. And Samuel says, why don't you wait for God to show up? And over and over, you see that whenever we get impatient, we take it in our own hands, there's, there's always a negative consequence attached to it. Because patience really isn't, it's, it's really just an indication of our, our trust of God. And when we're impatient, we're saying, God, I don't trust you enough. I don't, you, you're not, you don't know as much as I know, right? I, I can do better with, with, with my life. So we take control away from him, and we, we try to do it on our own. Uh, let me show you what Psalm says. So, so Psalms 37, Dave writes this, this psalm. And if you're ever in a place that you're maybe standing in line and you're a little impatient, go read Psalm 37, right? The whole psalm will, will challenge you to, to learn to have a bigger perspective, right? But anyways, starting in verse 7, this is what he says. Be still before the Lord. And wait patiently for him. So be still before God and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways. So when you're looking around and there's people that are, you know, doing uh, evil things or bad things and it seems like they're succeeding, you say, don't fret. Don't, don't become so bothered by that when they, care, when they carry out all their wicked schemes, right? So wait patiently for God. Refrain from anger, he says, and turn from wrath. And just so you know, when, when Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is, is patience, 
Uh, the idea in that, that Greek word, it means to, to push anger far away. So long-suffering means that you, that's another word they use for patience, is, is you, don't, you don't give up and get angry quickly, like quick-tempered. It's the opposite. You actually are able to push anger away. So that's what patience, the idea of patience means. You put one of the ideas that pushes it away farther and farther down that it takes you a while to get angry. And then turn from wrath. Do not fret. They use that, that word quite a bit. It leads only to evil. So when you take it in your own hands, it's going to lead to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord or those who wait in the Lord will inherit the land. So those who are patient, they're going to ha- inherit something really good. And he says, a little while, just, just be patient, be calm, right? In a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. I would think all of us would say, I would like peace and prosperity in my life. But what does he say? He says, if you're patient, if you trust God, you can expect to inherit good things. But when you don't, he says you actually produce evil things in your life when you, when you don't trust God. Um, so patience is really an indication of our, our trust in God. He's in control. He can, he can, he can uh, direct our lives the way he wants, and we need to trust him. Because I like this. Patience, it's an enduring love. So if love is, is the fruit of the Spirit, God's patience is us being able to say, I'm going to love even when it's difficult, even when I don't have the, all the things going my way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, to... Wait, wait as long as I can. So it literally means holding back anger for a long time. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not getting angry. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not getting angry. And then things keep going, right? It's, it's, it's learning to say I'm going to endure in, in wherever I'm in for as long as I can without getting angry, without taking it into my hands and, and doing the opposite of what God has. Proverbs 14.21 says this, Whoever is patient has great understanding. So if you have patience, you actually have wisdom and understanding. You see a bigger perspective. But one who is quick-tempered, not able to hold anger off, right? They get angry fast. They only display folly. They're foolish people. So a wise person is patient. A foolish person is quickly, it gets anger, angered quickly, right? So they become angry very quickly. He's saying patience is this, this muscle that we have to grow in our lives that says, I trust God more than I trust myself. I trust God more than whatever's going on in my life. I trust him to work out the things in my life that he needs to work out. So throughout Scripture... God helps us develop patience, and he shows us, he gives us help for our impatience by a few different things. One, by his example. So one of the things that, that scripture tells us is God is patient. And he says he, God is waiting, but not, not waiting as in we understand waiting. He's being patient with us so that all can come to know him. Like his, his patience is so none would perish, but they would find his love. So he's, he's patient, and he gives us the example of being patient. He doesn't get angry quickly, right? He's long-suffering. He's, he's, he, 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 he can push that off for a while. Um, so he models it for us. The second way God helps us with our impatience is by empowering us through his Holy Spirit. So he allows us to have the ability, and what I mean by this is the ability to see from his perspective. Because whenever we're in a situation, we want something to happen quicker than it is, we tend to believe that um, we deserve something, but it's not happening. Like, why is this not happening? Well, he, he, he empowers us to say, God, as I seek you, you're going to give me a bigger perspective. And so I see from this vantage point, but God sees from a bigger vantage point. So he's going to help us get in a different see perspective so we can see something more right and that's what he's gonna do is he's empower us to see more and the third way is by encouraging us through scripture through stories through other people right through inspiration through motivating words uh, that help us to slow down and to learn to wait for his timing and his provision over and over in scriptures those who didn't wait on god they always had negative consequences but those who said god i'm going to trust you and i'm going to wait i'm praying i'm going to believe that you're going to answer those in your time and the way you want so help me to do that Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews in 10 says this. He says, So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. So the confidence in who? Confidence in what? 
in the way God is doing things. Confidence in, in that we have a that God knows more than we know. That we are confident in our relationship with God. Um, it will our confidence will be richly rewarded, except we're trusting Him. You need to persevere. You need to be patient, right? So that when you have done the will of God, you'll receive what He has promised. There's a lot of promises in God's scripture for us. He's saying if you're patient, you'll receive the promises that He has for you. So we can say it like this: When it comes to patience, I will be slow to anger. And I'll endure patiently under the unavoidable pressures of life. There's going to be unavoidable pressures that you'll find yourself in. COVID is one of those, right? You can't avoid it. It's just happening. Um, election cycles happen every four years. Those things just happen. Those pressures happen. So how can we be slow to anger? And how can we endure patiently under those pressures? So in, in Scripture, when we talk about patience, there's two major ideas behind patience, right? One is being able to push that anger away, long-suffering, right? That we, 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 can, we can endure through difficult seasons. The other idea is that we can actually remain and stand underneath the pressures. Like somebody is holding a really heavy weight, whatever that pressure is that you're facing, you're able to, to grow the muscles to be able to stand under the pressures that you face. So when something's not going your way, when life has dealt you hard hands and you're, you're, you're struggling, you're able to not give up because you can hold that weight because you grow the ability to do that. And that's the two. So one last thought about uh, patience. Ecclesiastes 7 um, says it like this. The end of a matter is better than the beginning. So the end of something is always better than the beginning. And patience is better than pride. So notice how he, tie, he ties the, the comparison between patience and pride. Pride says, I'll do it my way. Patience says, God, I'm going to trust you. Pride says, I know more than you. Patience says, God, I, I, you know more than I do. Pride says, I'm going, to, I'm going to just control things because I want the way I want I want it now. Patience says, God, I'm going to trust and wait for your timing, your provision. So the end is always better than the beginning and always better than the middle. When we find ourselves in the middle, when we find ourselves uh, stuck, we want, we want to get in a rush, and that always leads to something negative. Um, there's a book in the Old Testament called Job. And the story of Job, if you read the first two chapters, you'd be very discouraged. Because here's this guy who did everything perfectly, and he lost everything. I mean everything. Um, and then if you kept reading for some more chapters, you'd eventually be like, man, this is not good because of all this confusion. His friends come. They say, it's your fault, Job. You're, you must have sinned. You must have done something God that made God angry. You're just, you're not good. And they argue and they talk back and forth. And there's all this like, what in the world's going on? And if you give up too soon in the story, you would actually be really confused in that. Like, what really took place? But if you get to the last two chapters, eventually you see the purpose of that. And Job gives us an example that if you're patient, you trust God, the outcome will be really good. But if you're prideful and you don't trust God, the outcome will not be what you want it to. So the first two chapters, they seem pretty dark, but the last two chapters always come. So the end is always better than the beginning in our lives. The end is always better than the beginning when we trust God with it. So that spiritual muscle, it grows quiet, it grows stronger as we quietly wait for God to answer, right? It grows, it grows stronger as we trust him. So here, here's the problem with patience is um, when you pay for, pay for patience, you get an opportunity to use it, right? So, anybody need some patience? <laughs> Don't raise your hand. Um, you're going to get opportunities to do it. But, but honestly, it's just he's going to give us the, the opportunity to be able to work that muscle out. And all of us can use some exercise and patience. So when we do, we say, God, I'm going to trust you more than I trust myself. God, I'm going I'm to wait for you rather than take it in my own hands. And when we do this, the outcome is always much better when we trust him. So that's patience, all right? We all need some patience. And when we exhibit this um, characteristic of the, of the fruit of God in our life, we're actually saying, I trust God more than I trust anything else in this world. And that's what God is after, saying, I want your heart. I want, I want it to come from within so others can see that. So we express, show others that God is working in our life through that. All right, let's talk about kindness, all right? 
And uh, let me just say this. Uh, let's make America kind again, all right? That would be the, the best thing we could ever do in our nation because our kindness is really what makes us stand out throughout history. It, that's, that's what God says, I'm going to bless you so you can be a blessing. The reason America's been the best for so long is so we can be a blessing. So let's make us kind again. We need some more kindness in our world, right, especially during the season. And so one of the fruit of the spirit of kindness is, is to help us to, um, to see others the way God sees them. We can say it like this. Kindness is compassion in action. When you see something that, you, that bothers you, you see something that's not right, you're doing something about it. Right? You have a heart for somebody, but then you do, you do something about it. You act on it. Uh, you, you see somebody that doesn't have food, you feed, right? You see somebody that doesn't have clothes, you clothe. You, you see somebody that's going through something difficult, you fill that need, you fill that gap. Um, what's interesting about the word kindness in Hebrew is, is the same root word for kindness that they use is also the, root, the word for stork. So storks are very interesting birds because a stork is the only bird that will adopt a stray bird that's not of their kind. So a female stork, if she found another bird that was lost from its mother, that stork mother, that, that bird would adopt that, even though it's not their kind, adopt it, and then they would, that they'll love and care for it as if it's their family. It's, it's love over a long haul, right? So kindness, compassion, action. So when it says kindness, it's kind of like this idea of a stork that takes in this this foreign bird, and loves them as just as if they're own. That's what God does for us. He adopts us into his family, even though we're, we don't deserve it because we're not good enough to do, earn it, right? It's God's kindness. His kindness is his compassion and action towards us. And so we see that. He's, he's inviting us into his family. Proverbs eleven seventeen says this. When you're kind to others, you help yourself. When you're cruel to others, you hurt yourself. So in, in our country, when there are divisions and there are sides, well, when you're cruel to one side, you're actually hurting yourself. You're not hurting them. And when you're kind to the other side, you're actually being kind to yourself, not just being kind to them. That always comes back. So, like, I, one of the ways I, I, I would say is if everybody drove like you, would our roads be safer or would they be friendlier or would they be pretty crazy? If everybody spoke like you, would our world be a kinder place, a, a better place, or would it be a worse place? Our actions always create in our lives an outcome. So when we're kind to others, we're actually helping ourselves. When we're cruel to others, we're actually hurting ourselves. So, you know, what tends to happen is cultures, we say, we should make everybody do this, right? Everybody should think this way. Everybody should act this way. Let's legislate how, how we should do it. And sometimes that helps a little bit. But honestly, the way change happens is by somebody saying, I'm going to do my part to bring change to my influence, my, my, my circle of influence the people that I can help. So when I'm kind to others around me, that kindness will eventually bleed off. It'll, be, uh, it'll, it, it'll catch on, and they'll, they'll, it'll be contagious, right? And when we're kind, it always comes back. And when we're cruel, it always comes back. Jesus says like this in Matthew 5. The first uh, sermon they recorded from him is called Sermon on the Mount. He says, You've heard it said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So notice what he says. In, in, his, in his culture, if you were Jewish, you're talking the Jewish culture, so you would love other Jewish people, but you're okay to hate people that weren't Jewish because technically they're not God's children. They're not, they, they've chosen something. They're pagan, right? So it's not really like you're hating them because they're really not belonging to the family, so you can love yours. But he's saying, no, my kingdom is not like that. He goes on and says, you need to learn to love your enemies and pray for those who do harm to you. Pray for those who talk bad about you. Pray for those who, who don't like you. So love your enemy. Pray for those. And then notice what he equates it to. 
then you will be the children of your Father in heaven. So if you want to be part of the kingdom of God, you have to learn to love your enemies, pray for those who try to hurt you. Then you'll be the children of God. Then you'll be an example of what, who God is. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain to the righteous and the unrighteous. So notice this. Uh, the sun and the rain, it's not actually good or bad. It just happens both, right? Both get it. Good and bad get sun. Both Good and bad get rain. It produces something in both of us. If you love those who love you, and he just makes this comparison that all of us are, are people, made in the image of God. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors, and he, and he uses this for an example because they thought of them as the lowest kind of rung of, of the kind of people groups in their time. There were sinners, and then there was tax collectors. They were like worse than sinners. So he's saying, are not even the worst of the people you think, aren't, aren't even they doing that, loving people like them? He says, but that's not what I'm calling you to. He said, if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? So if you only greet your political party and you ignore the others, how are you any better than anybody else? You're, you know, do not envy the pagans, um, or not even, do not even the pagans do that, but be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And this idea of perfection, it's not what we think. Like, you have the perfect muscles and everything, your hair is all right. That's not what he's referring to. What he's referring to is maturity. He's actually saying, be mature, be, be an example of who God is. Let God work in your life so you actually reflect him. So um, it's, it's, it's growing into spiritual maturity, both in your mind and your character, so that you can, you can integrate those values into our daily lives on the top all the time. That's what he's saying. So when you do this, you actually reflect God. When you, when you, when you li- love, love the way he wants you to love, you become more like him. I love the message uh, paraphrase of this. He says this. He says, in a word, what I'm saying is you need to grow up. Your kingdom subjects now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the same way that God lives towards you and I. So he's saying, when you do this, you're actually going to be more like God. And that's the goal. We mature, we grow up. Uh, so I heard a story of a man. Um, he's going to work, and as he approaches the building, this big skyscraper with these doors, uh, he sees an, a female executive coming, and so he opens the door, and he motions for her to go through. And she gives him a glare, and she says, you're only opening this because I'm a woman. And to which he responds, he says, no, um, I'm opening the door because I'm a gentleman. I don't know if you've ever have, have this experience. I've had a couple times where I open the door for somebody. They're like, I don't need your help. I'm a, I'm, I'm a strong woman. I'm like, all right, sorry, just trying to be a gentleman. But it's, it's, what, what he was saying is, I'm not, I'm, I'm not opening the door because of your gender. I'm up, opening the door because of my nature. Kindness, true kindness, it doesn't come from actions with, that, that just, just you don't do it for the right, you know, so people can see it. Real kindness comes from within. That you open the door for somebody because it's the polite thing to do. It's the kind thing to do because you'd want somebody else to do that for you. And you, you see them as made in the image of God. Even your enemy, that you'd open the door and say, please, let go first. You're, you're honoring somebody, right? In our culture, sometimes this is a big deal. We, we tend to think that um, we're, we're doing it for the wrong motives. We're kindness to say, no, it's for the right motive. I'm going to treat you the way that I would want to be treated. I'm going to treat you the way that you deserve to be treated as made in the image of God. So... Um, Jesus tells a story, probably one of my favorite stories in Scripture, because I, I love what he's doing in this when, he, when he's telling this story. It's found in Luke, and uh, I'll set it up for you. Okay, So there's um, an a expert in the law, be a, but what we think of as a lawyer, right? But when the law, I say the law, it means the Torah, the Scriptures, the first five books of the Bible. Um, he's an expert. And it says in Luke 10, he says, one, on one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. So this guy knows Scripture, and he's going to test Jesus, and he says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit 
eternal life. So, question and answer time, right? Somebody stands up and says, all right, so tell us, Jesus, what, what is it going to take to have eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what is written in the law? So he's a good rabbi. He answers the question with a question. Um, he says, how do you interpret it? How do you read it? And so the man says, well, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And then love your neighbor as yourself. What's interesting is this man had been following Jesus because he understood what Jesus would say in this answer. So he just repeats Jesus' answer because this is the first time Jesus equates these two commandments as one, loving God, loving your neighbor. So when he says this, um, he's, re- he's, he's, just, he's repeating what Jesus said in, in, in previous teaching, right? So he says, this is how I do it. And so then Jesus says, all right, you've answered correctly. Obviously, you've been paying attention, so you got it. Do this, and you will live. You'll have eternal life. Do this, and you get what God is asking you to do. So the, but the man says, but that's not enough. I don't want to just love God and love others. I want to be justified. So he says now he wanted to be justified himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In his culture, he knew his neighbor was. It was the Jewish people. It was people that looked like him. It was people who were born and he could identify with, right? That was his neighbor. So he's saying, well, so who exactly is this neighbor that I'm supposed to love? And he asked the question. So then Jesus, he responds uh, with, with, with a story, right? And the story goes like this. He says, there was a man who was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. So they would have known this route, right? It's, it's, there's some paths that are very, uh, you go through some canyons, some cliffs, and the path is very small. It's not very big, and you have to go through these paths. And so it says there was this man who was going from Jericho to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and on his way there, he was attacked by some robbers. They were positioned in hiding. They jumped out. They attacked him. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him, and they, went, they, they left him, leaving him half dead. So like, wow, this, this is a pretty tragic story, Jesus. Like, this guy's just going on a trip, and he gets attacked, and he's left half dead now. They took all of his stuff. And he says, this just happened that a priest happened to be walking by, right? And on his way there, he sees him on the same road, and when he saw the man, he passes by on the other side. At this point, the audience would have laughed, because when he says, pass by on the other side, it's not like this is a wide path. They would have known this is very narrow, and when he goes by this man, he would have been like, oh, I can't touch this dead guy. It's a very intentional choice to avoid the half-dead man. And, honestly, he could have justified it because he's a priest. If he touches this person, he is dead, or he touches, or he's unclean, he cannot go to the temple now. He has to wait. So it could actually mess up his duties. So technically, he's okay to ignore the need. And so he goes by, he, and they laugh because he intentionally ignored the opportunity to love others. Essentially, he chose one commandment over another, but he chose the lesser over what God would have. And so he says there's a priest. And then he says, and then after the priest goes by, there was a Levite, another person that works in the temple. And this person, he saw him. And what does he do? He passes by on the other side. So one guy's on this side like, oh, excuse me. And the other guy comes around. They're like, whoa, whoa, this guy's can't touch him. So he, he intentionally sets up two heroes in their minds as two people that missed the opportunity to love somebody. And then he says, but a Samaritan, he was traveling, and he saw him, and he took pity on him. And I guarantee in that moment when he said the Samaritan, everybody went, oh, not a Samaritan. Right? So if you're a Republican, Republican in this room, it'd be like, and Joe Biden showed up. And oh, not Joe Biden. If you're a Democrat, we say, and Donald Trump showed up. Oh, not Donald Trump. Because in your mind, that is the enemy of your party. Right? So this is, the person he picked would have been the person that they despise in that culture. Like he picked the person that you would want least to help you ever do anything. The person that you would least want to talk to. 
and, and share maybe something with you, a meal. So he picked that person, right? So maybe it's a different color, a person of a different race. Maybe it's a person of a different gender. Maybe it's a different person of a different political stance, position. That's who he picked. So whoever you think in your mind, and we all have these people, like there's just something in us that we tend to become like that. And he's, he's addressing a culture issue. Why is that we're only kind to those who are like us? Why can't we love others because they're made in the image of God? And he says, when the, when the Samaritan came, he saw him and he took pity on him. And he goes on, he says, he didn't just, he went on, he bandaged his wounds. He poured wine and oil on his wounds, which by the way, wine and oil is the two tools that the priest and the Levite would have used in the temple. So he's saying, this guy's going to take the instruments and the things that God has given them for worship, and he's going to use them to help this man have health. It's like another little poke, right? The religious people, like, hey guys, you're missing these opportunities to love people. You're taking what God has given you, you're using it for yourself, and you don't even care about others. And in this story, these people will begin to start getting a little mad. I can't believe you're talking about Republicans like that. I can't believe you're talking about Democrats like that. I can't believe you're talking about whatever. You put an insert, whatever name, whatever country, whatever person. That's kind of what he's doing. And he's, he's kind of, he's getting to the heart of these emotions and how the people treat him. And then he goes on, but it's not over. This, this Samaritan who you despise, who are half-breeds, right, um, who are worse than even tax collectors in your mind, he's saying, then he goes next day and he, he, takes, well, he takes the man on his donkey, he puts him into the inn to take care of him. Next day he takes out two denarii and he says, he gives an innkeeper and says, look after this guy and when I return, if there's extra expenses incurred, I will reimburse you for whatever extra may come up. So this is probably enough to take care of him, but if, just in case there's not, I'm going to come back. And their enemy was the hero in the story. How do you think the religious people felt at that moment? Oh, they were upset. I can't believe you could make that person the hero. I can't believe he would be that person. And then he asked the man, he says, so which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the one who fell into the hands of the robber? Remember the original question? Jesus, who exactly is my neighbor? So now he tells a story and says, so which of these three was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And notice what the expert says. He says, the one who had mercy on him. Notice something. You miss it. He can't even say the Samaritan. He can't even get himself to say the Samaritan's a hero. The Samaritan, the one I despise, is actually the guy that showed mercy. He says, the one who had mercy, the one that was kind, the one that took pity. And Jesus tells him, go and do likewise. You're a Republican of Democrats. You're a Democrat, love Republicans. You're a Green Party, I love somebody. <laughs> it's a joke. If you're a Green Party, you have your opinion, right? <laughs> Got a little tense just trying to break that because it was like, oh my goodness, I have to love those people? Yes, we have to love those people because we're not, we're not called to Democrat, the Democrat platform or the Republican platform. We're called to the Kingdom of God platform. And God calls us to that. And that was the point of his story. He's saying, go and do likewise. If you want to know what the fruit of the spirit of kindness looks like, Jesus says, here's what it looks like. It's loving people who are nothing like you, loving people who maybe even your enemy, people that persecute you, people that are doing wrong. Love even those people. The kindness, it comes from who we are as children of God, not just so people can think that we're awesome. People just see it. You know, you've heard of random acts of violence, right? Well, maybe Christians would be people who give random acts of kindness. In fact, every year, this time of the year, we actually, we, we have these cards always ready and we make them. These cards say something extra to show you. We call them acts of kindness cards. It says something, to sh- something extra to show you that God loves you. And on the back, it just says, and so do we. And then it has our church website. 
And every year we encourage during these seasons of holidays and um, end of the year, there can be a lot of pressure and tension, right? So what if we did some kind things to people in our city? What if we shared some kind things? And we just say, take a card. Maybe you're at Starbucks and you buy the car behind you some coffee. Maybe you're at a store and you buy them, you pay for somebody's groceries or you're at a restaurant and you, whatever. We just say, find opportunities to do something and just say, hey, God loves you and so do we. We want to show some kindness. You never know how far a kind act can carry somebody. A month, two months, three years. A little gesture of kindness can go a long way. And here's the thing. When you're kind to people, you're saying, you might not be in the same situation as me. And I don't know where you're at, but I'm going to just love you even when you're at where you're at. And not assume that everybody's going through the same thing you are, has things like you do, but you just, you love them. And you're kind. In fact, if you want one of these, um, after, I'll be outside. I, can, I have some, I'll give out if you, you care to have some. Um, if you're watching online, you want to come pick some up, we'll be at the Grove Central this week. I'll love to give you some. But you don't need a card. You can do this without a card. You can just do it from the bottom of your heart. Just be generous. Be kind to people. Sometimes visiting. Sometimes spending time. Sometimes a phone call. Those are kind things that we can do. But let's do this, right? Let's become those people that say, I'm going to show kindness even to my enemies. I'm going to show kindness even to those who are different than me. So Paul says this in Galatians. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's us waiting, enduring, staying under the pressures, it's kindness, it's compassion and action, it's us living and helping others know that God is good. In fact, Paul says this, he says, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. The fact that he's kind to us that we can actually have a relationship with God. It's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, and it's self-control. He goes on and says, those who belong to Jesus Christ, they have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. They can say, no, I'm not going to be in a rush because I trust God more than I trust myself. I'm going to be kind to others even when I'm a little frustrated with who they are or whatever. I'm going to learn to be kind. I'm going to learn these things. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So he's saying, let's not comparison of who, where we stand or who, whatever we voted for, or whatever's going on. Let not this become the main issue. Let this, walking in step with the Spirit, learning how to hear what God has to speak to you so you can live out his purposes in your life. You recognize his voice and you walk in step with him so you can be kind and not envying. So you be kind and not judging each other. You can be kind. Trust God. Ephesians 4, 2 says like this, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. More patient, we trust God. It helps to be to bear with one another in love. So be kind to people and be patient. And then Paul says the choice in Colossians. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So I noticed that in our Grove Central, maybe online it's different, but there's not a single naked person in this room. Everybody has clothes on. Just trust me. You can't see it. You all have clothes on. You woke up. You got dressed. You brushed your teeth, and you put some clothes on, right? Paul is saying it's a choice that we make to clothe ourselves with these kind of attributes. Clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, and with patience. We choose these things on a daily basis. You go to the store, you stand in line, you choose to be patient. You choose to be kind, even to your enemies. Here's my challenge. My challenge this week is this. Would you be kind while you're being patient? So in your line, in a line waiting, be kind while you're waiting. When, when you're going through something maybe difficult and you're waiting for results, be kind while you're waiting. 
when you're facing something and you we have others in your life, be kind while you wait for the results. Be kind while you wait for COVID to end. Be kind when you wait for whatever you fill in the blank that you're going through. And if you have a problem with this, here's the solution. You ask God to help you see from his perspective. God, I don't understand what's going on. I'm a little impatient this moment, but help me to see what you see. There's a story, uh, one of my, my favorite psalms, Psalm 73, Asaph. He's writing this song, and he's singing to God about how he's so frustrated with all these people in his life that just kind of live, and they're, 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 he calls them fat cats, right? They just kind of, they just do their own thing. Life, it comes easy to them. They're not even trying. He said, God, I've been working so hard to, to please you and to do what's right. And here are these people, they don't care. And it seems like everything's going their way. And he's frustrated with God. He says, my foot almost slipped. I almost gave up and just joined them. And it says he went to the house of God, to the temple, to worship. And he said, God showed him, gave him perspective, that they were actually on a slippery slope. And in time, the results of their life will come about. Just like fruit, it takes a while to, to mature and grow. The results of their choices will eventually be displayed. He says, hang in there. He realized, from God's perspective, even though I'm waiting and it's taking a long time, I'm actually doing the right thing. So in our lives, be kind while you wait. And in the waiting, ask God to help you see what he sees. Sometimes this is on a daily basis. God, I don't see what you're doing or what you want to do. I don't know why. I don't have the resources. I don't know why I don't have the things. God, I'm going to trust you. Give me your perspective. And like Paul when we go through something difficult, we see the bigger perspective of saying we're producing something great, producing something more. And this takes time. If you want to start growing apples, you'd have to go plant the seed. You have to get everything prepared. You might not have for about seven years a lot of apples in that tree. It's going to take some time to get there. It's the same thing. Be patient. Endure. Persevere. Don't give up when it gets hard. And while you're doing that, let's be kind. Do me a favor. Would you close your eyes and bow your head today? If you're in this room and as I talk about all of this, maybe you're challenged because you say, I'm impatient. That reflects that I'm not trusting God. I'm not kind to those that aren't like me or don't believe like me. I need God's help. If you're here today and you're watching online, you would say, I want to ask God to forgive me. I'm not trusting him. I'm going to ask God for not loving others the way I'm supposed to, especially my enemies, especially those who are different than me. If you're in this room and you would like to start a relationship with God, and you would like to say, I want to put pride to the side and be humble myself and say, God, I can't do without you. If you're here in this room or you're watching online, I'd love to lead you in a prayer. In fact, would you let me know just by lifting your hand? Anybody here today? Anybody else? All right, for you that raised your hand, I want to lead you in a prayer. And online, if you want to pray this with me, just a, a prayer of invitation and relationship to God. For the rest of us in this room that didn't raise their hand, would you pray with us so that those that raise their hand are not praying alone? Say this prayer today. Say, Father God, today, forgive me for taking things into my own hands, not trusting you, for being impatient, for being unkind. Help me to trust you more, to love others, the way you love us. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to give us an example of how to live. Thank you for letting him die on that cross so I could have life. Thank you that he's alive today. I put my trust in you. Lead me and guide me. In Jesus' name I pray.
Come on, church. Let's pray for those that raise their hand today. All those that raise online, so good.